welcome to A Broad's Way Through Broadway. I am your host, The Broad, Allison Schickrell, and today we're discussing company. Phone rings, door chimes, in comes company. I'm going to sing the whole episode. No, I'm not. Um, hi, Phil. Phil's joining me again. How are you doing, Phil? Hello. So, Phil Thanks Step- for having me back. Of course. Phil Stepanski is back after our episode on Little Shop of Horrors that we just kind of, you know, fan geeked out a little bit for, you know, an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to apologize for it. Me, me neither. Me neither. Um, so uh, so let's chat company. All right, we company. We got here as my usual. I, I'm realizing I'm saying this like every time now. But if you haven't listened to the company soundtrack or seen a production of it, stop what you're doing. Pause the podcast. Go watch it. Then come back because you need to see it because it's wonderful. Um, 1970 true. musical comedy. Music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and George Fred. Nominated for 14 Tony Awards. I believe that's a record. Um, Not for wins, but for nominations for 14 Tony Awards. I think that's a record. Um, And it won six, which we'll get into later, which Tony's it won. Um, Opened on Broadway uh, April 26, 1970, and has had you know, 1600 uh, revivals and tours and uh, things afterwards. It's, it's been around forever. Um, And yeah, it's, it's amazing. This is my first Sondheim episode. How is that even possible? I don't know. I, I mean, okay, let's be honest. I have a, oh gosh, I'm scared to say it. I have a love hate relationship with Stephen Sondheim. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. But a mostly That's love. That's fair. Most, mostly love. It's only that the thing, like, whenever I'm in a Sondheim show, I feel like I go through two bottles of Advil. Um, <laughs> just from, <laughs> just from yes. trying to get through his, his lyrics and his rhythms and his music. And, and, and I, I love it. And company is, I mean, com- I would say company definitely is in my, like, top ten favorite musicals of all time. Possibly top five. I would have to, I'd have to see. But, um, but, but no, it's my, definitely my favorite of all of Sondheim's works by far. Company definitely, definitely is. Um, so the reason I picked you for, for, Phil, Phil, hello. The reason I picked you to join me is, um, we worked this show together. Yes, we did. Yes, that was, what, when was that? What year was that? Not too long, not terribly long ago, 2018. Boy, we lost a year in the middle of a pandemic, so I can't remember what anyth- <laughs> um, when anything happened. This well, was it was at my theater, the Box Theater, but it mm-hmm. was before we were known as the Box Theater. We were still known as New Theater on Main, I believe. So that would have been 2017 because we became the okay. Box Theater yeah. in 2018. So. Yeah, seventeen sounds right then. Yeah, yes. winter, uh, winter, November season towards the end of the year. So mm-hmm. you directed. And yes, I did. Yeah, and I uh, choreographed, and um, choreographed, and uh, I also played April for the second time. <laughs> um, so let, tell me, Phil, what was? Was that your introduction to company when I offered you the director job for that? Or were you familiar with it beforehand? I was familiar with it. I had seen you in your uh, first, was was Theater Unchained your first go around? No, Theater Unchained was my second. So I've done the show three, uh, okay. t- I've done the show three times. I played Marta in college. That's one of Bobby's girlfriends, the main character, okay. Bobby. Uh 
his girl, one of his three girlfriends. I played Marta in college um, at Carroll University, and then I played April at Theater Unchained in Milwaukee. It is no longer Theater Unchained is no longer, um, but in Milwaukee, I played April, um, and then at the Box Theater, well, then New Theater on Main, which you directed. It was my second time playing April. Uh, okay, so my my first introduction to company officially was uh, going to be a. a fanboy of the <laughs> theater on chained uh, of version mm-hmm. and remember a nice tiny little theater and I, we had front row seats and so that was uh my first experience with it and then uh when you had approached me that it was going to be coming up and you were looking for director i uh, dove into it a little bit more i was using uh a lot with the uh Neil Patrick Harris concert yeah. version with Patti Lapone oh, and Stephen Colbert, and <laughs> yes, we will talk about that. Was using that as some inspiration uh, as far as you know, just putting it up on its feet. Yeah. And one of the wonderful things about the Box Theater is that it is so intimate and yes. tiny. And one of the biggest challenges about the Box Theater is that it's so intimate <laughs> and tiny. And so it that was should be on our website. <laughs> The opportunity to be able to figure out how we can put something on with, uh, you know, some real powerhouse voices mm-hmm. in in a tiny space. Yes. And uh, so I was really excited for the opportunity, was just starting to dip into directing uh, at that time as well. I've got mm-hmm. several more credits under my belt since that time. And so uh was really excited about the opportunity to, to kind of jump in in a in a creative opportunity that we knew it wasn't going to be your, your standard big old, you know, big old musical. And we had, we had a really great collaboration and we had an awesome cast and it was, it was an amazing time. Yeah. I remember, I remember that cause it was early on in your directing career and I was like, gotta, I don't want this to like spoil directing for you. So it's like, <laughs> I don't, I remember we didn't really, as far as I remember, I don't think we really had formal auditions for that show. I think we did a lot of um, just sort of asking around to actors that we mm-hmm. already know and trust and uh, who who we felt, you know, would fit the role well. And um, because obviously a director's job gets cut in half when he or she has a stellar, stellar cast. Um, right. So I uh, obviously, you know, and with it being, you know, my organization and everything, I wanted, I was like, gosh, I want this to be a really good experience for you. And it's like, we got a great show. Let's get you a great cast so that your job can be, you know, fun and easier and not, you know, a headache, even though it's, you know, Sondheim, which is hard. It's hard. Right. Um, well, and we I, were, we were overlapping as well. That was the yes. thing. I was in Hunchback of Notre Dame at Waukesha That's Civic right. at that same time. So our performances and the early rehearsals of company were starting to cross over. So mm-hmm. we were trying to navigate some uh, time and availability issues as well. Yep. But again, we were able to compile such a strong cast that it's... That's half uh, the battle. You know, once the music got figured out, and that's again with Sondheim, once you can figure out the music and the rhythms, mm-hmm. you're three quarters of the way there. And, you know, right. the rest of it... The, the rest of it is the icing on the cake. Well, and I will say for company in particular, <laughs> um, like, like, like you said, while well, getting just, just getting this music down, you know, the and then the rest can be like cake. For me and my personal experience with doing this show three times, I say that if you're in a production of company, once you get that first opening number, which is called company, once that number is 
done being learned and and you know in good and and in good uh and sound and good the rest of the show is fine <laughs> like i kind of feel like uh when you do this show schedule two weeks of rehearsal for that opening number and then another like two weeks for the whole rest of the show right. and then you're good <laughs> and then you're good and not to say that the rest of the show is like easy peasy but just in comparison to that first number um mm-hmm. I, I believe my first vocal director donna Cummer, she direct she was vocal and music director for my college production and even she said too once we get this first number done half the show of work half the work in the show is done (laughs) um it's an it's an amazing number um before i get too much into the the music of this show um and the characters i i will i will be a better host than i was in my past few episodes and talk just a little bit about what the show is about just in case we do have any listeners out there who are not super familiar with the show or familiar with it at all um it actually was among the, one of the first musicals to deal with adult themes and relationships. Um, Sondheim, I actually have a quote from Sondheim here that he said the Broadway theater has for many years, and this was in the 70s, mind you, not right now, but in the 70s, Broadway theater has uh, supported, has been, uh, been supported by upper middle class people with upper middle class problems. And these, the people, you know, we want to see, we want to escape into a world where they can go to the theater and, and be there with, company that you know they can relate to um company (laughs) get it um and uh with with having something just a little bit more modern contemporary you know company deals with relationships with marriages it focuses on dating relationships and marriage and the different types of romantic relationships that can come about when you first when you first meet someone to being you know newlyweds to being married for you know over 20 years and the the ups and downs of that and the advantages and disadvantages of that and everything that comes along with that, that had not really been explored um, in in Broadway shows um, before company. And that's what Sondheim was so, you know, into this idea for it because it was originally, um, I guess it was originally titled Threes and it was a story that revolved around Robert, which stayed the same, um, a single man unable to commit fully to a steady relationship, let alone marriage, and five married couples who are his best friends. And uh, and then Bobby has his three girlfriends, his three girlfriends that he's seeing that he's not committed to, to any of them, just sort of, you know, figuring things out and trying to figure out if he even wants this, this, you know, it's the social expectation that once you reach a certain age, you go ahead and get married and have children. And if you don't do that, you won't be happy. That sort of idea. Um, so it's it's a uh, it's definitely a character study piece. It's it's not your typical musical with you know, not that it doesn't have big showy numbers because uh, it, it definitely it definitely does, and those are super mm-hmm. fun. But it's you, you Bobby is on stage pretty much the whole show, and you basically follow him through his journey of being the third wheel to all his friends and finding out, you know, is he okay with it? Is he happy with his life this way? Does he want more? Does he, uh, you know, see what his friends have going on in their marriages and absolutely not want that, you know? Um, And uh, so the the original, uh, I don't even know if it, I think the original plan wasn't even for it to be a musical and then it became a musical because of Sondheim, um, if I recall correctly. And 
it uh, it was just these short little vignettes of Bobby talking with, you know, this married couple that he's friends with and this married couple that he's friends with. And um, it, it definitely is a character study with just Bobby and, and these people in his lives. And it's definitely it's definitely different. Like, I, w- I mean, it's I mean, all musicals are unique, but I think that's one of the things that really uh, attracted me to it when it's. Uh, after I saw it first, and then especially to be able to to dive into mm-hmm. you know some of the nuts and bolts of of directing it as mm-hmm. well, uh, you know as as a director, I really like the to be able to get to the meat of the story. You know why is the why is the person doing what it is that they're doing, and mm-hmm. it's you're not. I, I say this to my actors all of the time that. Don't walk over there and sit on the couch because Phil told me to walk over there and sit on the couch, uh-huh. you know, kind of a thing. Figure and out why you're doing something. Exactly. And in and this is so unique because of the threes that you were talking about. This isn't Bobby sitting on the wall and listening to these other people. It's you're learning about and you have a short time to do it in mm-hmm. each of these scenes. It's typically an acted scene and then a song where you can kind of learn about, you know, each of these different couples, but it's you're you're learning a lot in a short period of time about how these couples are not only interacting with each other as husband and wife, but how they are interacting with Bobby. Mm-hmm. That sometimes he was friends with the husband, sometimes he was friends with the wife, sometimes he was friends with both of them. And, you know, it's they're learning their, I guess you could say the things that are strengths and weaknesses about their relationship and trying to pass along unsolicited advice to Bobby, Mm -hmm. you know, don't do this because this is how, you know, this has been terrible for us, but this is what's worked and all of that. And he's spending the whole show processing this and it just goes from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And it, it is, you called it a character study. And I think that that's a, a really good way of being able to put it because, when you really think about it, even in your own life, it's everybody's got different, uh, you know, you see different relationships differently. The way that your parents interact as opposed to some of your friends, as yep. opposed to, you know, everybody all across the board. And there isn't necessarily a right or wrong in any of those. They all have their ups and their downs. And that's the beauty, I think, of all of the these quick little scenes that are there as well, is that we get to see both the ups and the downs yes. in in all of them as well. Well, and that's the that's the interesting thing about the show, too, is what the audience is seeing uh, when I when I watch a production of Company, I always ask myself this question: um, Are we seeing, like, for example, if Bobby is talking with um, with uh, Joanne and Larry, who are two two of his friends, and we're watching this scene and them having a discussion, are we seeing this through Bobby's point of view, or are we seeing this? how there's how it really is because sometimes they're not the same sometimes they are but sometimes mm-hmm. you know they're not the same it's sort of like there there's um there's always you know three versions of a story his version her version and the truth you know uh it's it's that <laughs> sort of thing and and i've always wondered that anytime i've been in the show or watched the show is is this um is this bobby's psyche you know showing the story or is this how it really is because you, you, it's almost like there's with a show like this. There's almost no, um, like if someone asks, "Well, what happens in this show?" Kind of nothing. 
Like, honestly, like, it's not a show where you have, like, oh, well, it starts like this, and then there's this conflict that turns up, and then the character overcomes this conflict, but then there's this other conflict that happens because of that, and then it all wraps up, and it ends, and it's great. Nope. We pretty much just watch Bobby interact with these people and see how he feels about stuff. <laughs> and right. that's, that's it. That's all that, that's all that technically, quote-unquote, happens. <laughs> so, it's, I don't know, it's, uh... It's it's definitely it's definitely different and and for for the, for anyone who has um you know appreciation for those kind of shows where it's not just like this big dance number and this big showy number and this big crazy big solo where you actually want to act like really kind of get to know these characters and and connect with them this is such a great this is such a great show for that um, and I've also heard with um a lot of people I've talked to about this show. Um, especially, especially married couples, um, the show ages pretty well. Um, I mean, it's been around since the seventies. It's, it ages pretty well, but I, I've heard, I, I can't speak for sure cause I'm not married and I've never been married, but, um, I, I've heard a lot of people say that they can find relation to all of Bobby's friends and even Bobby, um, for, from when they were, you know, when they were single, you know, things he says and things he thinks and everything, but everyone who I know who, who's been married, like they say like, oh man, I totally get like this couple or that couple or whatever. And, uh, and then I, I know for me, like, I feel like, gosh, for the longest time, I'm in a relationship now, but like for the longest time I was girl Bobby, like, that's what I loved about this show and uh, because it's like I feel a huge connection with this particular character where he's at the age where he should be, you know, getting married and settling down by societal stand- standpoints and all of his friends are married or married with kids or newly married or been married a long time and he's perfectly content with just being that third wheel, being the uncle, being, you know, whatever. And, and is that is that wrong? Is that, does that mean he's missing out? Does that mean he's missing out on this thing that people are supposed to do? And it's like all those questions of, of, um, that people ask of bachelors and bachelorettes. And yeah, so there's, there's, it's a great character piece that a lot of, I mean, I feel like no, no matter who you are, you'll either connect with Bobby, like pretty hardcore, or you'll connect with, um, maybe the girlfriends, his three girlfriends, or one of the married couples. So, um, so, and or I, some and combination I, of all of them, really, as you go through honestly, the, yeah. the different stages in life. I think we, you talked about how it ages well, and mm-hmm. I am married and have been more of, I think my case was more of the exception than the rule as I married my high school sweetheart. I was going to say, you got married really young and married your first yes, love, and yeah. <laughs> we're going to be it's celebrating 17 years next month, and so we got married when we were five. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> It's that is more of the exception, I understand it. Mm -hmm. But back in the 70s, it was that was more of the norm that it's, you know, after school, you go ahead and you get married and you have kids and all of that. And society now in the world of 2021 is starting to move more towards people are waiting longer to be able to uh, start settling down and all of that. But that doesn't mean that that the messages still aren't there. And I can very confidently say that there wasn't one specific couple that I would say I'm looking at because in 17 years of being married, we've gone through a lot of those. And as my kids are now elementary school, starting to move into middle school, uh, it's going to be a whole different 
yeah. you know, set of circumstances and uh, and interactions that are going to happen there. But in today's world, in my circles of influence, I have I know a lot more Bobbies than I did 17 years ago sure. because that's becoming more of the norm, which is just an interesting way of kind of looking at the the circle of life. If yeah, you will. well, and because you wonder if, and I know the show, like I said, has been revived a million times. In the most recent revival, uh, they have gender flipped the show, and there is a girl. It is a sure. girl Bobby and things like that. And while I do say that the show does age well, there is sort of when you look at the character of Bobby and that his married friends. You know, the, the thing they the thing they ask, when are you going to settle down? When are you going to settle down? Why don't you want to be married? You don't want to be married? Why? And things like that. Like you said, in the 70s, Bobby was the odd duck because he was 35 years old and single um, and, and okay with being single and not necessarily even trying to find, you know, quote unquote, the one or whatever. And now you kind of wonder you know, 35 years old and single, it's like, I'd say it's still probably less normal than being married when you're 35, but it's not quite, it's, it's certainly not like unheard of, or I don't, I wouldn't mm-hmm. even consider it like even odd necessarily anymore. So, um, and especially for, especially for women, because obviously, you know, if, if with women, you know, if they want to become pregnant someday, and have a kid, they have a clock. Guys don't necessarily have that clock. Women have that clock. So I think uh, in the most recent revival, changing Bobby to a woman who's 35 and not settled down yet um, and, you know, determining, because, like, there are certain things that it's like, if you want this, you actually have to do this soon. <laughs> like, as of which, which stuff that boy Bobby wouldn't necessarily, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I, I just think that's uh, really interesting. Um, I want to talk about, about casting for this because like I said there have been 800,000 productions of this one and I definitely have a favorite and you already kind of foreshadowed it a little bit um I definitely have a a favorite production but um the and and you would think it would be what I just said the the most recent revival with the girl Bobby because obviously Bobby's like my dream role and the character I connect with and obviously yes I do want to play you know, I girl Bobby or boy Bobby. I don't care. I just want to play Bobby someday. Um, but uh, the the 2011 New York Philharmonic concert, which was film only, I think they had one. This production was one night only for a live audience, and they filmed it. And then it was um, it premiered in only certain movie theaters it wasn't one of those ones where it's just like at all like the marcus cinemas and and uh, everything like it was only certain like uh, like six or seven movie theaters per state or something and you had to like find one that was happened to be playing this one and it was for a super super short time it was like a week or something um so it was hard to come by um and uh that version starred neil patrick harris as bobby be still my heart um, and Stephen Colbert as Harry, uh, Patty Lapone as Joanne, again, be still my heart, Christina Hendricks as April, holy brilliant, by the way, um, I, oh, Martha Plimpton as Sarah, I can't, like, I have no words for how much I loved that particular production. And you said that was the first one that you that you kind of like were able to like see like aside yes. from Theater Unchained that I was in. Um, I know I can't hold a candle, Christina Hendricks as April, but 
uh, and I would never even try to. Um, I totally stole a lot of her stuff for my second run in April because she was just perfection, perfection at that role. Like, oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, so that was your first one seeing like a, like a quote unquote professional version of it. Well, right. And I was trying to, again, use some of those ideas to be able to get, uh, you know, some, some inspiration for, for different things in the smaller space and, you know, with how some of the scenes were acted and all of that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you said it, when you see Neil Patrick Harris as Bobby, it's, I don't know if I would put anybody else there. Yeah. Like he was Bobby and it was brilliant. I think Bobby is such a hard role to play Mm -hmm. because if you really look at him, he's not particularly likable because he's kind of an ass. He is. But at the same token, you w- you want to feel sorry for him yeah. because he's the the protagonist in this whole story mm-hmm. and but it's not bad to have to have that balance there and you know that is the challenge for anyone who who is going to be playing that role certainly but you know I think Neil Patrick Harris has kind of made a career out of being <laughs> the guy that's not particularly likable but also everybody loves at the same time yes. and there was no different in, uh, you know, in that particular production. Yeah. Well, and that's why I, and, and uh, I can dive into my, my dream cast real quick. Cause I didn't dream cast the whole show, but I did dream cast just a few roles in this show. And, uh, I, I'm stealing what you did for, for little shop of horrors when we did a dream cast for little shop of horrors and you, and you said, well, Rick Moranis, you're not going to don't, don't, you know, Steve Martin, don't, don't mess with something that's not broken. You know, it's like, you can't get better than that. Um, and in my opinion, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say they stole my idea, but I pictured a Neil Patrick Harris as Bobby before the New York Philharmonic concert thing was a thing. So I'm just saying I cast really good. That's <laughs> um, totally too bad. They um, didn't call you for permission first. Right. They should have. This is totally my idea. Now. OK, to be fair, if, it, <laughs> if I had my way, every single show known to man would just star Neil Patrick Harris and Nathan Lane. Um, True that. <laughs> just like every show ever is like just put those two in it and it's perfect um <laughs> but uh and I, I, I was pleased with like the rest of the cast i mean obviously patty lapone was born to play joanne like holy christmas and um uh um christina hendrix I, I wasn't super familiar with her actually before um uh before she was in this um i i hadn't i i don't know if i even ever saw her anything i didn't really know who she was but oh my gosh her her sort of, you know, wide-eyed slowness of April. Um, uh, you know, April is is she she's she's a little dumb, and dumb characters in shows. Gosh, there are so many different ways you can go with with that type of personality. You know, you can make her kind of cartoony. You can make her kind of dry. You know, and 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 it's she can be annoying or she can be lovable. You know, that kind of personality. You know, it's up to the actor and director to to figure out which way do you want to go with April and with her version of just sort of I the way I described her performance and this is what I did with my April as well. The the lights are on. But the fader switch is just, it's kind of low. <laughs> and it's like, it's sort of like, there's just not so right this isn't quite all there, but in kind of a charming way. <laughs> um, 
And it was, so that was just, oh my gosh, it was so fun playing her. And I, I, I don't have enough words to say about Christina Hendricks performance. I, I, and I have to admit the, and this is, this may be a good description of how obsessed I am with this particular version of company. When the, when they announced that it was coming to DVD, because we always, we, we weren't sure, like it came to movie theaters and because it was so, you know, it, it wasn't a thing. You had to like go to a certain theater to see it and everything. Um, who knew the DVD was even going to become a DVD or become available online or anything like that. And when it found, I found out like in like three months, it's going to be available on DVD and I pre pre-ordered it on Amazon and all the stuff. I watched it twice a day for the next two weeks when I had it in my possession. I watched it when I got up in the morning and I had it on when I was going to bed. I watched it twice a day for two weeks and then I watched it on probably a monthly basis. Like, and I still, and I still do. I'm obsessed with this particular version. I'm obsessed with this cast. Um, and it's, it's, yeah. Uh, um, like, like I said, turn off the podcast, go watch the New York Philharmonic, New York Philharmonic concert starring Neil Patrick Harris. (laughs) You won't be disappointed. Yeah, right. Talk about going all just like fan geek out here. We should we should probably talk about more things that <laughs> that are actually like fun facts about this show. Um, but but before we take a break, let's let's actually do that. So um, Stephen Sondheim, like I said, this is my first Stephen Sondheim episode. Um, do you have another favorite of his besides? Like, I mean, I'm just assuming Company is your favorite because it's my favorite, so it should be. <laughs> uh, so to, to give the correct answer, yes, Company is my favorite. Uh, I, I also have a special place in my heart for Sweeney Todd. Uh, yes. As the first Sondheim show I ever acted in, I got the opportunity to be able to Who play the love-struck Antony, the sailor. And uh, it is... A marathon to be able to to learn songs in the style of Sondheim, mm-hmm. and uh, it was, but it was great. And uh, so that Sweeney Todd had much more of a of a story arc and all of that, and you've got to be you know really really locked in to that particular story because mm-hmm. a, a demon barber who's killing people is awesome. you know kind of is awesome, but is out there. <laughs> Whereas in company, it's that it's not the start, middle, end, you mm-hmm. know, kind of a feel to it, but it's that same. A lot of the the song stylings are very same. A lot of the patter songs and yeah. you know the crossing over of the harmonies and all of that kind of stuff, uh, you know, echoes is a lot of what he what he's done there. But it just helps to helps to paint the picture and tell the story. That the beauty about Sondheim, I think, is that you are getting story out of the songs as well. Sometimes in a show, the the music just kind of embellishes what what you're already seeing. And it's, look at how pretty my voice is and that type of a thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas you need to be locked in and paying attention to Sondheim lyrics because you're learning more about the characters by listening to that more so than in in a lot of other types of shows. I definitely feel like Sondheim musicals are one of those things where, and I said this about our Seussical episode too, because I'm obsessed with Dr. Seuss quotes and Dr. Seuss, uh, or the Seussical lyrics, um, which is basically Dr. Seuss quotes. And I'll say the same thing about Sondheim. The the lyrics are like, the lyrics are uh, amazing. This uh, lyricist for company was George, uh, like I said, George Firth. I wish there was subtitles across the screen during during musicals because gosh there's just some words in here that are just you know 
you, you, you don't catch everything because in a musical, you know, when people are singing, there's always going to be stuff that you don't catch because either, like in the case of Sondheim, obviously there's going to be rhythms or, or like you said, a powder song where it's, you don't catch everything, but you need to because it's so good. You don't want to miss anything. You don't want to miss anything. Um, well, listen, uh, this this seems to be a, a good spot to take a break. I am going to save my fun facts. I have, like, a few fun facts about this show and about Stephen Sondheim, um, with this being my first Sondheim episode, um, which I want to talk about when we get back. And then um, and also sharing my dream cast. Like I said, Neil Patrick Harris, Patti LuPone, pretty perfect, pretty, pretty perfect, but... I do have a couple more that I want to talk about, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts so that you can tell me how right I am about. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> about. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, uh, well, uh, we'll take a we'll take a quick intermission here, um, and we'll be back uh, right after this words from our friends at Six Five Media. Hey, this is TC. And this is Jim from the Studio Demands It podcast. Where every episode we take a demand from a hypothetical studio. Which could be you. And challenge ourselves to conceptualize, pitch, and craft a film based on the stipulations. Or the demands. We are given. We talk about movies all the time. Particularly, we complain about the choices made in the films we've seen. We're nerds like that. And, of course, like any good nerd does, we automatically assume that we could do better. Even with the demands and restrictions that clearly must have been put on by a production. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com and listen to our previous library of episodes. Our library of previous episodes. Our precious library, Jim. <laughs> our library of precious episodes. <laughs> You're a pirate Smeagol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com to listen to our library of episodes. And submit your demand for a future episode, too. So go do that. Okay, bye. Okay, end of ad. Hi there, I'm David. And I'm Kate. And we're the hosts of another Zelda podcast. There are so many good podcasts out there, and some of them in particular concern the Legend of Zelda. <laughs> That's right, Kate, and we are another one of them. we That is actually the name of our show, Another yes. Zelda Podcast. And in our show in particular, we talk about some of our favorite dungeons, characters, boss battles. We have top ten lists. Yeah, we do deep dives on game design and production aspects of the different Zelda games. And we talk about our own experiences. We do some review episodes, talk about our challenges, our struggles, and our victories. That's right. You know, really just almost anything that has to do with Zelda, we like to talk about it. A new episode comes out every other Friday, and you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and YouTube. And you can also check out our episodes on our website, anotherzeldapodcast.com. That's right. All right, we will see you there. Okay, bye! back i hope you enjoyed your intermission uh welcome back to a broadsway through broadway i'm allison chickrell here with phil stepanski and we're talking about company did you have a nice intermission phil i had a fabulous inf- intermission Should yes go to the concessions and... yes Ugh. i stepped out to the lobby and got myself a snack cute Awesome. All right. Great. <laughs> so, uh, so we left off. Um, I did a little. I did a little tease. I said I was gonna uh, share some fun facts about this show, and then I didn't. And then I was like, well, "We're gonna take a break instead." <laughs> I was mean. All right. Anyway. Um, Shockingly, we talked for too long. <laughs> so okay. So this is. I'm gonna start with one of my fun facts. That is. I'm calling it a fun fact. It's it's actually a little bit sad. Um, but then we'll we'll talk about something, you know, nicer afterwards. But so Dean Jones, okay. Dean Jones was the original 
Bobby. <laughs> okay, I know him from this, like, Disney movie from, like, the 70s called The Ugly Dachshund. <laughs> it's about this guy and his wife, and she has a bunch of, like, dachshunds that she's obsessed with. They're pets. They're, uh, they're, they're dogs that are dachshunds. And he falls in love with this, like, Great Dane, and, like, that's born at the same time. And, like, <laughs> brings home this Great Dane thinking and making the wife think that it's one of her dachshund puppies. And then it grows up and obviously is... You know, it's a little bit of a play on ugly duckling, except it's about dogs, basically. <laughs> Once you brought up the Great Dane, that sounds familiar that to sounds, me. That sounds, you've I seen may, it? Okay, so that was the original I Bobby. May have, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never in a million years would I have been able to pull that right? out of the, the back corners of my brain, but I think I may have seen it. And that. see, I was like the little kid nerd who, when I would watch this movie, and my dad told me, you know, that's Bobby. And I'm like, what? No, you're wrong, Dad. <laughs> um, but it's uh, no. He's also in. Um, uh, he's in another dog movie. Dean Jones is uh, Beethoven. The Musa- ah, the nice. Saint Bernard, the Saint Bernard movie. He plays the mean, fake veterinarian who's like super mean to dogs. Like he goes from this one movie where he's like the sweetest guy and just falls in love with this Great Dane puppy. Um, and convinces his wife to keep the puppy, even though he's like, doesn't look like her cute little dachshunds. And then in the next movie he's in with dogs, he's like hurting them. <laughs> like, it's so messed up. Um, anyway, that's Bobby. Um, the fun, that wasn't the fun fact. Um, the fun fact is that, so he, he was the original Bobby and, um, Hal Prince was the, was the, um, uh, director, um, of the first Broadway production of Company, um, Hal Prince. And, Apparently, during that run, Dean Jones's marriage was, like, falling apart while he was playing Bobby in Company. Yeah. And he, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he. It gives you a little something to tap into as right? a performer, though. Yeah. And it's like, and he said, uh, uh, what do I have? According to Prince, Jones's departure uh, from the show was planned. It was, it was, he had a really short run. And um, in 2001, Prince recalls the circumstances that Jones was wrestling with a troubled marriage, um, which Prince didn't know at the time. And New York City was, in Prince's words, spooking him. Um, and he, he went to Jones and said, you can't stand being in New York City facing a show that might keep you here for another year. And Jones said, yeah, you're right. And Prince asked that if he promised to replace Jones very quickly, he would give him the opening night that we deserve and that you're capable of giving. And Prince warned Larry Kurt um, a few weeks later um, and uh, that he would be replacing Dean Jones. And that ended up happening. Um, and Dean Jones, you know, went home. And uh, Larry Kurt then, who took over as Bobby, um, he earned rave reviews for his performance. And the Tony Awards Committee decided that he would be eligible to compete for best actor in a musical, which is usually only reserved for actors who originate a role, which Larry Kurt did not, Dean Jones did. But he was that good that they let him like participate in that aspect of the of the competition for that award. Right, that is a fun fact. Yeah, a little depressing about about <laughs> Dean Jones, right? Because um, yeah. <laughs> Jones apparently like then wrote an autobiography in uh, 1982 called Under Running Laughter. And um, in which he wrote, he wrote of company, it was clever, bright show on the surface, but its underlying message declared that marriage was at best a vapid compromise, insoluble, and finally destructive. Wow. Yeah, I know. So 
it makes, like, I don't know. I really wish I could have seen Dean Jones. Like, knowing that, especially. I mean, I would have loved to see Dean Jones play Bobby, you know, if I was, you know, alive in 1970. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, even just knowing that, like, because we've all been, we know you and I are actors. We've, I'm, I'm sure we've both been involved in, in situations where when we're playing a character, there's certain, there's a certain aspect that we can kind of tap into from a real life thing. Like some, like somewhat, not, not crazy method, but like somewhat method. And mm-hmm. that that can be, Absolutely. and that can be really useful to the performance, but it also can be kind of, um, you know, it also can be a little bit troubling sometimes. It also can kind of be like a little emotionally challenging to to put yourself through that depend depending on what you're channeling into and for him to be playing bobby you know a character who's so like about marriage and for his current real life marriage to be falling apart while he's playing that character it's sort of like ooh ooh yikes like sort of i almost like as a hu- for as a human get him out of that role like <laughs> right yeah that's for, that's a not a safe thing to place do. for him to be living for too long right which is good that he got out right right but not for to then you know say that the show was you know clever and bright on the surface but that basically says you know marriage is in the end destructive and um and it's interesting but i find interesting about that is that um spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen company skip this part because i'm gonna i'm gonna say a spoiler well, actually, sort of not really. <laughs> it's kind of a spoiler. The ending of Company is a little bit open. It's, you know, I've asked, like, my mom, who has seen Company three times, because I've been in it three times. She's come to see my shows three times. Oh, and she's also seen the Rallis Bowser version and the Neil Patrick Harris version. And I've asked her, I said, do you do you know how it ends? And she said, yeah, well, Bobby decides to, decides to be open to marriage. Okay. I don't know if that's right or wrong, and I don't know if because open endings sometimes for me are challenging because it's like I want to know, <laughs> like I want to know, but it uh, it typically ends, and the directors directors have fussed with this um, that he sings being alive, which is him singing about. You know, and it starts out saying someone to hold you cl- too close, someone to know you too deep, someone to sit in your chair and ruin your sleep, all these things, someone to do all that stuff. Who wants all that? And then his friends say these last few words to him, you know, that you have to want, you have to want somebody, not somebody, meaning you have to want a specific person. Then you know it's right, not just a person for company. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, and that's like kind of, in my opinion, that's kind of like the message is that company is one thing falling in love with a specific person it's like i want this person not just a person and him switching the lyrics then in the second half of being alive switching the lyrics into somebody hold me too close somebody know me too deep somebody sit in my chair and ruin my sleep yeah that absolutely does imply that he's transitioning into yeah i guess i don't want to be alone and i do want to find somebody not somebody um but then the very last thing that happens is that he's at his birthday party and all his friends are there and he doesn't show up and he comes in at the end after they all leave and just sits in his chair and then the lights go out and sometimes and this is the part that has kind of differed based on productions i've seen sometimes he just comes and sit in his chair and takes a sip of his drink and the lights go out and that's it and sometimes his single chair that he's been sitting in this whole time that's been in his apartment has now turned into the love seat and he sits in the love seat instead where there's an extra space next to him, an empty space. So obviously 
there's a lot of things that can be implied with that because we don't actually see, there's no epilogue. We don't actually see, oh, does he end up with Marta or April or Kathy, his three girlfriends, or does he end up with someone totally different? Or does he not end up with anyone? Does he get hit by a car the next day and die? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I hope not. Um, but we don't, but we don't know. Stay open to interpretation like that. I I kind of like your mom's interpretation that he is open to getting married, mm-hmm. and I think that that makes sense. But the the big question mark is: Does he do it, or is he able to do it? Yeah, and that's that's a whole another way to be able to to look at how he's having these different interactions with people. That especially with his girlfriends, the three of them are all so different. And he's pretty, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, he's very on the surface with all of them. Yep. You know, he, he's not really, he's not really diving in very emotionally. Mm-hmm. And he does have that aha moment during being alive, as you said, that it's, it's pleading. I, I want, I do want this now mm-hmm. and I want somebody and I want that. And it's one thing to acknowledge that that's what you want. It's another thing to be able to, to actually go out and find it. Yep. And that's that's a whole separate thing. Yeah. And what I like about the unknown and him not being at the at the party and all of that mm-hmm. is that it's not that he is necessarily out womanizing or you know trying to trying to find someone, mm-hmm. but that this is a different changed Bobby from who we used to know just because he's gone through and had this reflection. Yeah. And even that is powerful enough to be able to uh, to drive what's what. And, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe when Company 2 comes out uh, <laughs> at some point, we can, we can see what actually happened. But, you know, your mind, a person's mind is a lot more powerful than what's on the stage in a lot of cases. Absolutely. Well, especially with um with Bobby and 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 again with his mind and not knowing throughout the whole thing are we seeing what's really going on in his life or are we just seeing his potentially warped version or his accurate version we, you know we don't know with him because we don't see because we don't have like a wedding scene in the end where he's right there with you know I'm I'm going to say Marta because Marta is technically the last girlfriend that we see him with before the end of the show so some people I feel like some people assume that he picked Marta and that's why he brings Marta to his friend's house um in like the second to last scene um but but because we don't see that and he doesn't say that um and the one of the last things he says in being alive um, before he starts singing the the second part of being alive with somebody to hold me too close, somebody to know me too deep. The um, he yells stop. The 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 friends have this re- recurring theme of Bobby, 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 baby, Bobby, 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 and and it's very it's kind of jarring because it's sort of like uh, I, I know some single people can absolutely relate to this where if you're single and you know over 25 or something and and you have family or friends or whoever a little bit you know I in my opinion is a little rude but a little bit when are you settling down when are you gonna meet someone oh, are you seeing anyone oh you're not you're not seeing anyone that must be you must be so lonely you know it's like oh gosh whole other episode where I could you know tangent about that <laughs> um about, about those kind of people who do that um but he where was my point um he uh he yells stop at them and then sings being alive and then he doesn't show up to the birthday party where they're all at and one of the couples says you know maybe we should leave him a note 
And the husband replies, maybe we should leave him alone. And they leave. And it's sort of like, I, I, I love that for the aspect of Bobby has been the third wheel for who knows how long, him or however long he's known these people. We get, we get the implication that he's been friends with these people for quite a long time. It's sort of uh, the outside influences sort of thing. Like, even like, like, like social media, you know, you need to think for yourself. And, and people, you know, sometimes lose that ability to just make decisions for themselves and think for themselves and not be so influenced by others, even loved ones whose opinions maybe you do care about and maybe you should care about because they're loved ones. But when they're all like coming at you with this, dude, you got to do this, you got to do this, otherwise you're not happy. I kind of feel like him not showing up to the party and him, but he's, he's, he's hiding. He's kind of like, it's implied that he's hiding from them. He's just waiting for them to leave so that he can spend his birthday alone with his own thoughts, with his own ideas, what he wants without these influences. And I, and I, I have appreciation for that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. That's those noises. Not only it's noises, it's the noise inside of his head. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's that little sequence that you were talking about. That's, that's repetitive. It's mm-hmm. they're all talking. They're all talking. It's he's hearing it inside of his head. It turns into a, just a blah mix of mm-hmm. you know blah blah blah. Bobby, when are you? When are you? You know all mm-hmm. of that kind of thing. And that's one of the uh, I think really brilliant things about this show as well is that the all of the friends are staged in spots where. They're there and he's and are actually all interacting with him, mm-hmm. but then also when they're inside of his head. Yes. And, you know, how are they and how is even what he saw from them or what they're saying to him or this song is addressed to spe- specifically to him? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it all kind of is is intermingled in, in all of that. And, yeah. you know, being alive is the, you know, is kind of the song and you know, in this show. And it's just the, it's the final buildup to, to everything, all of the noise. And it's just driving you absolutely insane. And then the stop and then the realization that's the, that's the big aha moments that, Mm -hmm. that you can get there that, all right, yeah, I do want this. And how am I going to do it? I don't want to hear this noise anymore. I'm going to go out and do my own thing. It's, Mm -hmm. it's really, it's very powerful. Yeah, it is. And it's so well written in a way that it's, that it does begin with the, the the patter of Bobby, 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 baby, and they're all at once, and they're all they're all speaking at once. They're all kind of almost shouting at him at once, and it's messy and it's busy and it's loud. And then the next time we hear the couples talk at him during that song, they go one at a time, and very slowly, and they're all giving him the same message, but it's one at a time. And I I think that's so like beautifully styled. Um, to help Bobby get to that, you know, that next point of being alive. Um, I think it's a really like real way to show a little bit of a, a little bit of a breakdown, a little bit of a, yeah, I don't know a better word for it, but a little bit of a breakdown. So tech wise, I'm going to talk, I'm because we've, you, you mentioned, you know, doing this show, you know, in a, in a small space, um, and that that's like the best thing about it and also the worst thing about it. Um, the traditionally, yeah, the show, the show is done with kind of pods, um, like little platforms for each of the couples. Bobby's is typically in the middle. So he's surrounded by these people and they can all come together for his birthday. But otherwise they have like these little I've actually never really seen a production where it's not 
where the set is not styled like that. Um, and I like that. And I like that style. And we did, we did, you know, something similar. There was just kind of just different areas, um, of where, of where each of the scenes would take place. Um, the original production had a working elevator on their set, which was, it was just the platforms of the different, you know, like homes of the couples and then two working elevators. And the, uh, in the beginning, the opening number, there's this, um, this ongoing note between the cast that the cast is singing, um, kind of a ripple so that the note keeps going forever and ever and ever. It goes on for like, what feels like two minutes. It's probably only like 20 seconds, but it feels like two minutes, um, of we love you. And it goes on and on and on. And in the original production, they used the elevator there and the amount of time that it took for the elevator to get from the bottom to the top or from the top to the bottom or something. Um, that's how long, (laughs) that they're holding that note was before we love you and I just think that's so cool because you don't see that a lot in shows of an elevator on the stage that's kind of fun yeah that's that creates a a whole new set of tech challenges as you said you know to to be able to get that and if you can pull it off Mm -hmm. it's it's a very cool effect and you know that could also suggest that all of these friends are living in the same building yeah, even. And, exactly. you know, that, that makes it a little bit easier to be able to, to navigate from space to space. Mm-hmm. One of the, the difficulties that we had in a smaller space is that it starts in Bobby's apartment and then each of these other scenes are in these other people's apartments. Mm-hmm. And so they had a very similar looking couch to each other because <laughs> we used the same couch in yep. every one. But, you know, it had to be something as simple as, all right, the chair's going over here. The couch is going to go over here. Mm-hmm. Now on this side, it's going to, this is where they live. And over on this side, this is where they live. And then let's get this thing out of the way so we can bring everybody in and not have a traffic jam backstage. Mm -hmm. And we had some upper levels as well to kind of look like an outdoor balcony and that sort of a thing and sight lines and everything. But uh, it was, it was good. And I think that we, it's, I think we pulled it off pretty effectively given the, Mm -hmm. the constraints of the space and the, and the backstage that we had to be able to pretty simply suggest you know, five, six, seven different locations mm-hmm. uh, without without the elevator. You have to raise your ticket prices a lot for us to be able to get an elevator, right? In, so. <laughs> and I won't, and I won't go over twenty. Um, and, well, and I and I will say, I mean, elevator or not, I I feel like this particular show. I'm going to sound super biased because obviously the theater that I work at is a is a small, intimate little black box. So obviously, anytime I say this show works so well in an intimate space, anytime I say that, I obviously I obviously sound biased. Um, but this show does work well in a little. It does. It works well in a little space. Um, again, because coming full circle here, it, it, because it's a character study. Uh, um, it's it's not necessarily flashy costumes uh, that you want to look at. It doesn't need like fancy sets. It's not like um, you know you know like like Wicked or even like you know I'm going to use like a. Um, uh, Hello Dolly as a show where it's like, oh, I want to see all those costumes. Like, it's it's uh, it works really well in intimate space. I, I will say too, th- there's so many opportunities in this show to make the audience uncomfortable, and I love making audiences uncomfortable. Um, I but I have but I will say because I played April at Theater Unchained. Um, to uh, I was opposite the guy playing Bobby. His name's Jacob, and his wife is my bestie. (laughs) So I will say the night that 
and and April and Bobby have uh they have a they have a love scene. It's a very comical love scene, which is kind of the only kind of love scenes that I actually like to do <laughs> on stage is the comical ones just because they're so funny and it helps it helps get it I don't know I find them more comfortable like as an actor but to have it makes it less awkward for to, sure to have that barrier of okay this is supposed to be funny um but I will say in an intimate setting and theater unchained is even more intimate than the box theater is the box theater there's still at least some distance between the first row and the stage theater unchained you're right on top of there and there was one night where um jacob's wife my bestie and my boyfriend at the time seated next to each other watching the show in the front row and there's me and my bestie's husband in this lo- comical love scene like kissing and i was like this is officially weird but also kind of funny <laughs> Um, just because of based on like just who was who it, who it was and everything, it was just so funny. Um, but like I said, in a small setting like that, you just feel I feel like you just feel more uncomfortable in the scenes where you should be uncomfortable, which is really fun, and also just that much more that you can catch among these characters that you're watching. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it was like we were talking about. There's so much of this that it is like happening inside of Bobby's head that lends itself to the smaller intimate as well. Mm -hmm. Because although he's not necessarily interacting with these voices that are inside of his head, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can see that dynamic and you can, you can feel the, the energy that they're providing and all of that. And that's going to work a lot better in a small space than if you fly somebody in from the rafters, you know, (laughs) kind of the thing, uh, (laughs) which is cool in the, the shows where that's required and that's a spectacle. But when, when you're getting internal, like mm-hmm. that, the the smaller space really really does help with that. Absolutely, absolutely. So we didn't. Uh, I, I remember when I when I asked you to direct the show, we discussed um, <laughs> that we're not doing this. The in the Rallis Bowser version, mm-hmm. um, I I want to say that was two thousand six. Yeah, two thousand six. The one of the revivals. Um, starring Raul Esparza as Bobby, who I who I also I liked his Bobby as well. N- nothing compared to Neil Patrick Harris, but but he's um, but he he was great. There was a um, a production the for a while where the orchestra of the show was done by the couples, the actors. Not Bobby, but I think Bobby played the kazoo at one point, <laughs> um, or or like a drum or something, something kind of goofy. But um, like for example, the girlfriends and the "You Can Drive a Person Crazy" number, they were on saxophones, and it was a saxophone number, and they still sang. But um, there's this part where each of them goes do 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 do, and instead of singing that, that's what they would play on their saxophones. Um, I don't know of any other production that's done something like that where they have, I mean, except for like, you know, some shows where it's like the actors are supposed to do that. Like that's how the show is written. But I, I watched, it was on Netflix for a while. It might still be. Check it out if it's on Netflix. It's definitely interesting to watch, but I remember, you know, talking to you about like, okay, so like we have to make sure our Amy plays the French horn. Okay, um, not. <laughs> it's just so I I don't I I think it's really really cool and really interesting, but also outrageously unnecessary. <laughs> yes, I would agree. Opinion, and if you have the luxury opinion. of 
tapping into a a huge pool of actors that you can be picky enough to be able to to find people to do that. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's kind of a nice uh, a nice little benefit. But as we said, Sondheim music itself yeah. is hard enough to learn mm-hmm. uh, as as a singer actor mm-hmm. that to try layering on a it's, it's like a musician yep. piece to that as well. Like if you already know how to do it, that's one thing that you're not going to learn how to play the French horn for a Sondheim show. Right. You know, maybe you'll learn how to play the kazoo, but you're not going to learn how to, how to play a saxophone or a French horn, you know, something Mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, if you've got, if you've got the people that can do it, that's, that's kind of a nice thing, but you know, the vast majority of people wouldn't really be able to know the difference. And I think it's much more comfortable for your actors, uh, especially in you know it's a community world where it's where we've been working a lot to mm-hmm. or even in some of the you know Milwaukee professional that's that's a whole nother thing just to mm-hmm. be able to say all right how about just concentrate on these really hard lyrics <laughs> and these really hard rhythms and don't don't get hung up on anything else yeah well and also as we've been saying you know it's such a character driven piece and it's it's supposed to, like I feel like that is the show's priority is is creating these characters to be relatable and and enjoyable and to to keep the audience engaged with following them and what they're saying and what they're going through in their process I feel that the instruments are just a distraction mm-hmm. it's sort of yep. like it's sort of just for show and um I, I obviously they wouldn't have done this in the original because I don't think I think it would have I think it would have been a flop. I don't know for sure, obviously, but like I feel like it wouldn't have been well received. It's not like you know School of Rock where it's like there's this part where the teacher is teaching the students how to play instruments and saying, oh, you should try drums, you should try guitar. It's like that works. That's part of the plot. But this is just I all I feel like it it gunks up the show. You and got it. If it's away, not part and, of the narrative, yeah. If it's not part of the narrative story already, mm-hmm. it becomes distracting, and people are trying to figure out why is that girl playing a saxophone mm-hmm. instead of concentrating on the lyrics or yeah. you know any of those types of things. And it's just sure. it's I feel like it's unneeded. Um, it's like over decorated or something it's just uh it's it's a cool concept but if the you're i feel like the goal still needs to be following these characters and i find it and i find it distracting that said it's still cool to watch because <laughs> it's like because you have all these other productions you have all these other productions of it the original and the revival and the 1800 tours and other revivals like nah, eh, you can watch all those for the for that it's like and it's when still you get far cool enough concept. into that you know you can start tinkering a little yeah. bit and, and playing with it and that's okay but yeah, yeah not not from the get-go for sure, for sure. Um, so, okay, can I can I can I share with you my dream cast real quick so that you can tell me how brilliant I am? Uh, yes, uh, I can. No one's told me I'm brilliant today yet, so you know. Um, so uh, Neil Patrick Harris, like I said, um, was was my dream cast Bobby even before he was Bobby. Check. Um, so okay, my Joanne. So Joanne is uh, she's the character who sings "Ladies Who Lunch," um, originated by Elaine Stritch, and. I want to play. I mean, I want to play Joe. I'm, I won't be old enough to play her for years, hopefully. Um, but I, I, oh my gosh, I love the character. Um, she's such a brat. She's so mean and sarcastic, and like, oh, she's just such a cool character. Um, Beth Lavelle or BB Newworth are my two Joannes. BB Newworth would be 
yeah. intriguing. I could see that. Yeah, I think she would be yeah. so fun. Um, and Beth Lavelle, uh, she was the um, she's best known for Drowsy Chaperone. She was the original Drowsy Chaperone in that show. Um, and I, I feel, I just feel like. She's got a Which nice you could argue is the same part as Joanne. I was going to say. Not exactly the same, well, but they're think, similar. There's similarities there. Yeah. Well, I think you and I have both been in Drowsy Chaperone together, and we've both been a part of company together. And I feel like you and I have said that when not recording a podcast for the internet. We've talked about that, that the Drowsy Chaperone is kind of like Joanne and company. Maybe uh, yep. she's kind of like a nicer Joanne. Because the drowsy chaperone isn't quite as like bitchy as Joanne, um, but they're definitely you know they they walk they saunter around the stage with a with a cocktail in hand at all times. They're both equally drunk. They're both equally drunk. Yeah, and they're both around the same age, like age like yep, age wise of the character. So I feel like I kind of feel like anyone who has played the drowsy chaperone would also make a good Joanne, and anyone who's played Joanne would also make a good drowsy chaperone. Which is funny because. The woman who played Joanne in the second time I was in company, her name's Liz Norton. She's amazing. Um, she was also the drowsy chaperone. <laughs> so there you go. Proof right Case there. Point. That Absolutely. It, it's one of those roles where it's like, if you can do one, you can probably do the other. Um, so do you know who Laura Bell Bundy is? Okay, Laura Bell Bundy is, uh, she was the original Elle Woods in Legally Blonde, the musical. And she was also the original Amber Von Tussle in Hairspray, the musical. Um, And she's done like a billion other things. She was Glinda for a while. Not the original Glinda, that was Kristen Chenoweth. But she was Glinda for a while after Kristen Chenoweth. Um, she's She's done a ton of stuff. And I think she would be a really fun Amy, the bride. She would sing the Crazy Bride song, Not Getting Married Today. Sure. Um, She has, uh... I've seen her be like played played a flustery flustered role before and very kind of word vomity before. I've seen her do that kind of thing, and um, and she does a lot of comedic roles a lot. She like she, sure. she she does a lot of she does a lot of comedy. I think she'd be really. I think she would nail the comedy of it, nail the nuances of it, and uh, yeah. So she's my she's my Amy, um, and then Eden Espinosa as Marta. Um, Eden Espinosa was in, she was the original, uh, original in, um, in Brooklyn, the musical, which is not a super popular musical, but I love it. Um, and she also was Maureen and Rent for a while, and she was, a uh, she was an Alphaba for a long while, too. Um, so if that helps sure. at all, if you could take an Alphaba, if you don't know who she is, take an Alphaba, think about that, and now picture her singing Another Hundred People. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. That's, I think. That'll play. <laughs> you know, you get the, the nice little, you get the... The New York edge that's out there. Uh-huh. That's that's what Mana needs. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. That's that's good. I like it. Yeah. Um Rent and 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 Elf and Alphaba, I think that's like you said, that because Marta needs Marta needs edge. There needs to be something mm-hmm. kind of spunky and edgy about her. And I feel like I feel like Ignace Spinoza is is that all over the place. Um and then my final Dreamcast option. Okay, this is random because she's not a Broadway person. And she's actually a professional dancer, way more than an actor and a singer. Um, <laughs> I meant to Google her name because I don't know it. So I'm just going to call her Brittany from Glee. <laughs> uh, okay. So on Glee, she's the blonde cheerleader who just kind of talks everything like this. And she's not super smart. 
And I just feel like she's probably a one-trick pony actor because I've never, I've never actually seen her in anything else other than this one very specific type of personality of a character on Glee. But I feel like an April vocally is not a challenging role, so you don't need to be like this crazy amazing singer to play April, in my opinion. I mean, I'm also saying that because I played April, so it's, and I'm not the world's most amazing singer, and I played April hopefully a little bit decently. So you don't need to be a crazy good singer. Um, it's more of you need to grab that. It's it's an a, it's, it's an acting role. It's a comedic acting role that you got to play around with. Feel yeah, totally. Yeah. And I and I think I think Brittany from Glee is what I'm calling her. She has a real name, I, I promise. But Brittany from Glee is my random choice to throw in my brother. If only there was a way that we could access this information quickly. Yeah, but I'm on my <laughs> iPad and my phone. I have no I, more devices left. I had that same problem. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, wow, those casting choices were brilliant. Right? Let me tell you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for val- validating me. Um <laughs> So um, I have one more fun fact before I, before we just do a quick discussion of any final like favorite company things. So okay, this is just something I found, and it's less depressing than my fun fact about Dean Jones being you know in a troubled marriage when he was playing Bobby. This is this is more fun than that. Um, so Sondheim had never been married or even been in a serious relationship when he and George Firth wrote Company, the lyricist George Firth. Um, they when they were writing Company, which is a musical about marriage, they he had never been married or in a relationship. So to research the topic, he chatted with his friends Mary Rogers and asked her to talk about her two marriages, and he would just take notes. Interesting. Yeah, because they say like write about when they like with like playwrights and authors and everything. They tell you like write about what you know, and sometimes sure. didn't do that. He did. He didn't do that at all. He was like, well, I don't know anything about this, so I'll just ask other people. Well, and in something that is as complex as. A relationship, yeah. Not having a uh, a bias one way or the other, mm-hmm. you know, really, it really kinds of op- opens you up to to different ways of looking. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, yeah, that I was just, probably part of the brilliance of it is that there wasn't there wasn't any preconceived notions in there. Exactly, it was just like, what does this mean? Because then it would end up too opinionated. It would just end up too opinionated. It would right. like, I mean, because we all have you know opinions about things, and and things we have opinions about things that we should have opinions about because we have a lot of experience and we have opinions about things that we should not have opinions about because we're, we're clueless about it, but we're humans and Americans and we're going to share our opinion. Anyway. <laughs> like my, like my podcast about Broadway shows. Um, <laughs> so, um, so last, last but not least here, Phil, I want to just go over a couple um, of your favorite, like you directed this show. So did you have a favorite um, number or scene or um, I have to say even a, like a line of dialogue or something because there's brilliant quotes in this show. Um, yes. I went through a phase where my Facebook status, I think it was the year that the Neil Patrick Harris version came out. I went through a phase where every day my Facebook status was a different quote from company and I, I did that for about two months and I did not run out of quotes. So I, I think there's a couple that it's uh, that jumped to mind right away. Uh, it was... The, the scene, it's Harry and Sarah, I believe. Connor and Lindsay were the name of the, the actors that were playing that. Mm-hmm. And she is learning how to do karate. And they are, uh, like, going through this kind of awkward, like, 
karate type of move where mm-hmm. she she wants him to you know to hit her so that she can try to block it using all of her karate <laughs> style and all of that and we had two very strong comedic actors being able to play that and it was I was just cracking up every every time that we did that that was that was, that so was one that jumps out for me for sure uh you had, had talked about the character Amy singing the not, not talk about a patter song. Mm-hmm. It's probably the patter song of all patter songs, all patter songs. in the history of the world. And <laughs> you know, it's it's just exhausting trying to trying to even listen to that. Mm-hmm. But uh, where it's, where we spent a lot of time was trying to bring out the the panic that was mm-hmm. happening, but not overdo it. Yes. Because that's, that's one of those that it's real easy to just be, have an actress who is like manic crazy running around this, the stage with like a chicken with its head cut off. Yeah, and, and that's not as funny. That, it's not as funny at it's all. Not as and funny. so Less uh, is more. we spent, yeah, we spent a lot of time trying to find the moments to be able to bring it up and, and bring it down. It was one of the more challenging pieces, mm-hmm. but it was also... Uh, I think one of the most rewarding with that as we were able to, uh, you know, kind of navigate that through. And in our tiny little space that we tried to turn into a dance club uh, during the the scene with Joanne and we had Bobby's three girlfriends up on the balcony, you know, kind of schmoozing and, you know, chatting with each other and, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to trying to interact across the stage and give people the stink eye from... <laughs> You know, we're actually in the scene together, but we're we're kind of not because the stage doesn't let me do it. But we're still kind of doing this thing, and we had a little bit of that tug of war back and mm-hmm. forth. But uh, it turned out to be really fun. So and we I took think self- that was... we took selfies during that scene too. I think yes, yeah. yes, those are on the internet somewhere if you want to look for them. <laughs> we would face but, the camera uh... a certain way so that the audience would end up the audience would end up in the uh, selfie on some nights. And, yes. Uh, and that's that's and I think I might have talked about this in a couple episodes. That's my favorite thing in, in my in my particular shows that I direct. I love any opportunity to take real pictures on stage because they're fun yep. for marketing. They're fun for right. like absolutely. Yeah, they're super super fun. But yeah, no, I remember that we definitely did have a little bit of like, okay, let us know if we're doing too much because we would like the the platform um, across. We were across from Josh, the musician. Uh, and the other, the other, the other, the other musician, the music director, and the band, and you know, like like waving at them, and and he'd like wave, and he'd be playing like background music, and would play a little something like specific for us to see if anyone would notice, and um, and then we'd send the the actor playing the bartender, who was who who at not at the time, but now I'm dating, <laughs> um, we'd flirt with him from the top of the balcony. It's like, and meanwhile, there's this whole scene going on. And there wasn't enough space for you to actually do anything. No. So it's kind of like do a little something, but don't do too much to be able to distract from the scene. Right. But have some fun and get in there while you're awkwardly like kind of dancing. Like, what am I doing? Why did he Why did he tell me to stand on this tiny little platform? And uh, that But so that's where fun. the magic happens. So yeah, it was awesome. absolutely. So, okay, my favorite I – have, I, have, I have two favorites that I, that I want to talk about. So it was my dream – to choreograph side by side by side. Like when we picked company, I was like, it's, I'm like, maybe I'll direct it. You know, you know, I was like, oh, now I guess I'll just play April again. And then it's like, well, should I choreograph it? And I was like, okay, should I choreograph something that I'm in? I don't know. And went through all those, all those fun questions. Um, And 
I just wanted to choreograph side by side by side. As I, I choreographed a couple other numbers too, pretty simple ones, but side by side by side was seriously, it was my dream to choreograph that since the first time I was in that show. So, so fun. And and I still now now after saying that, I feel like I want to go watch the DVD of that one scene and just watch, just watch it because it was just so fun. And the actors did such a good job taking my um my simplistic choreography and making it look like a look like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um I love actors who do that. Take my choreography and make it look like a thing. <laughs> um, but I do have a soft spot for Marry Me a Little, which is the song that Bobby sings at the end of Act One. It is the epitome song for commitophobe. Um, and I felt like for I felt like the for the longest time those lyrics, and honestly, I I actually I, I say I used to. I, I do still feel this way, even though I am in a very, you know, g- great I'm in a great relationship right now, but I still do feel the lyrics in Marry Me a Little resonate with me a lot um because you do hear stories about it's like oh you get married and you don't you know you don't you're not just the two of you anymore now you got kids and you know you kind of get you know lose the romance you know all those jokes or whatever and and that's always been part of my fear of a future of marriage and everything it's like well that doesn't sound fun like you know and bobby's rendition of marry me a little the lyrics and marry me a little it's like yeah i want that but but only a little bit and I want this, but I want to be able to also do this. And I'm this, and I want, but I want to back off on this. And it's, it's a, I feel like it describes what he wishes marriage could be. And, and I find, I don't know, I find that really, really relatable um, as mm-hmm. someone who's had a bit of, you know, commitment issues herself on and off. Um, I feel like it's, it's, I feel like it's very, very relatable. And I remember the first time hearing those lyrics and being like, oh, this fictional character totally gets it. Yeah. <laughs> and then they wrote a musical about it, Mary Me. Well, they didn't write a musical about Mary Me a Little. There's a Sondheim, um, there's lots of Sondheim shows that are uh, song cycles of Sondheim shows, like Sondheim on Sondheim, Side by Side by Side by Sondheim and uh, Marry Me mm-hmm. a Little, which is just one man and one woman. And they go and they sing through like a ton of, of Sondheim's works. A lot of his um, flops, a lot of his songs, a lot of his shows that didn't necessarily get, you know, the recognition uh, that that company and Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd, Funny Thing Happened, things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. His bigger known, sh- well, well-known shows. Um, gosh, I probably should just do an episode on Sondheim. Oops. Okay. That might happen. Um but uh, but yeah, so that was those were my particular favorites. Side Come back for size, more, folks. Right? <laughs> side by such a fun number. The only real number in the show that's kind of traditional, tip stereotypical musical theater. Actually, I feel like in the show, it's the I feel like it's the only one that's very like Broadway jazz hands, and it's but it's done it it's done in sort of a right sa- yep, a satire absolutely. sort of way too because it's one of those scenes where we don't know if Bobby is envisioning this like is this his kind of warped version of these crazy people or is this what's actually how it how it really is so it's it's really fun um well listen phil we're just about out of time is there anything else you wanted to share about about company your uh thoughts on the show or any other any other items about your personal experience with the show i would say nothing specific it was uh as I said, one of the the first ventures into directing that uh, that I had, which was amazing, and uh, it, every it, every theater experience that I have, regardless of whether it is a an actor or a singer or a director or behind the scenes or anything like that, really, it's 
always holds a special place for me. And it's was really fun to kind of take the walk down memory lane today yeah. as, as we were going through, that I'm was... sure the rest of the day, I'm going to be humming these songs and there's going to be other moments that are going to pop into my <laughs> head that we didn't even talk about. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity, especially coming out of uh, a, a real long hiatus within the world of theater to be able to, to start reminiscing and looking forward to, uh, you know, getting getting back and treading the boards again. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I, I totally agree. And yeah, I'm going to be totally on a company kick now the rest of the day. I'm probably going to just stop this podcast and go watch the Neil Patrick Harris version, like I said. And you should too, listeners, check out the, the Neil Patrick Harris version. I believe it's still streaming on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something, as well as the Rala Sparza version if you're interested in something um, really different where the actors play instruments while also playing their characters. It's crazy. You might be able um, to find snippets of it on, on of both of those on YouTube. As oh well. yeah, for sure. I mean, even uh, collectively, each individual scene put together is probably on YouTube as well. Um, so, uh, so if you'd like to find Broadway through Broadway, we're on uh, we're on Instagram and and YouTube right now. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, all that fun stuff. Um, if you want to check out more about my little theater in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Oconomowoc, uh, no one knows what that is. It is about 30 minutes west of Milwaukee. Hopefully you know what that is. The Box Theater Company on Facebook or on Instagram. You can also follow me on Allie.Chick, A-L-L-I dot C-H-I-C on Instagram. And that about does it for today, Phil. Thank you again so much for talking company with me. My pleasure. All right. Well, you have a great day. And this is a Broadway through Broadway. Final bow, blackout, and curtain. Mm-hmm.